Oh, thanks, Wesley. You know, if you're just walking in, and sometimes that happens, maybe you are, maybe you're looking at your watch going, man, I didn't realize we were as late as we are. We just like to mess with you every once in a while and change up the order, you know? Uh, we have not forgotten about our communion time. We're going to share that with one another here in a few minutes. We look forward to that, to being able to do that together. Uh, but so we were going to kind of move things around from our normal way of doing things in order just to be able to, to have some sharing time together here in the beginning. And then we'll close things out this morning with our, with our time of communion. And we are so glad that you are here. Man, glad to have you in Chattanooga. Glad that you are here at East Brainerd today. And just again, hope that it's going to be a blessing. Don't forget, if you came for ice cream, uh, no, excuse me, let me say this. If you came for the Lord and ice cream, all right, let me put it that way, it's going to be in the FLC after we uh, conclude our small group gatherings that will take place after this time. And so if you're here with your kiddos and would like to be a part of that, we encourage you to, um, to go and enjoy. It's going to be, it's going to be good. Um, Sean talked about the um, sand. Um, that's the why I don't go to the beach, Sean, because you got sand that just travels with you. Have you guys noticed that? You go to the beach, you leave the beach, but the beach just never leaves you, right? Let's just be honest about it. Beach just never leaves you. Hey, we're glad to have Sean, Sheena, and the family back with us. I know um, also, Stephen, you've been uh, traveling. Good to see you. And for the rest of you that have been in and out, thanks so much again for being here today. And don't forget that as we are kind of getting back into our usual schedules, we're going to be having our Vacation Bible School that will be getting kicked off next week. So I'm uh, looking forward to uh, being able to share all that together. If you are new with us here today, we are in the midst of a study that's looking at how we can better respond to the changes that are taking place in our society and in our lives. And we want to respond as followers of Jesus. We want to have a more spirit-led response. And so we have introduced language over the last few weeks, like the world that was and the world that is, in order to describe the transitioning of paradigms. And now a paradigm is just the way that the, you view the world and the way that the world and its systems function. And we're in the process of moving from one to another. We've used the imagery of standing in a doorway to describe the idea that we have one foot in that world that was, one foot in that world, the world that is known, but then another world in the world that is unknown, that being that world that is, is that space then that's in between, it's that gray zone, that's where we, that's where we find ourselves. That's where we currently live, it's where you guys are working, it's, it's where we are actually worshiping. We're in that in-between space as we're moving from one paradigm into another. And it's in this space that we find all kinds of anxiety, especially among the younger members of our society. An analysis of the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey finds that 44% of adults under the age of 50 have reported experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression this year alone, in 2023. So almost 50% of adults under the age of 50 have reported saying, you know what, I'm just anxious, and I'm depressed, and I'm just struggling with how to process all the different things that are going on around me. Now you compare that 
with 24% of adults over 50 who have said the same thing. Think about that difference. The data also show that young adults, 18 to 24, are more likely than adults of any other age group to experience mental health symptoms. Now remember, this is the young adult group that have come of age in the era of the pandemic and with the school closures that came with that and remote work and job and income loss and all of these things can potentially contribute to mental health struggles. And so as we are here in this gray zone, understand that the anxiety that you feel, no matter your age, whether due to the changes that are going on in your personal life or the changes that you just see taking place in the fabric of society, this anxiety is real. It's real. And our natural response is just to revert back to our basic instincts. And so we freeze or we fight or we flee. When change occurs, the anxiety that is brought on by that change, well, it begins to push us further and further away from other individuals. And we begin to kind of cocoon. We close ranks, so to speak. And it becomes every man, it becomes every woman for themselves. And then we begin to blame other people for the problems that we see around us. We become suspicious of anyone who is different. We demand that everyone share our viewpoint and that we get our way. Have you seen attitudes like this in society? Have you seen these in, in maybe your family and, and at work, school? Maybe you've even seen this and you're like, man, you're talking to me. I see it in myself, this is what I'm doing. Well, what we're trying to do here with this teaching series is that we're trying to encourage each of us to choose a different response. And, and as I said, a more spirit-led response. We want you to embrace your space. Okay, this gray zone that you find yourself in. We want you to embrace that because we want you to see how that every transition and every adjustment and every crossroad, every U-turn in life and every space in between is the opportunity for God to impact that space through you. You're in this space, and instead of trying to, to run out of it, instead of trying to figure out, well, how can I make things like they used to be, you embrace your space and allow God to impact that space through you. So we began this conversation back at the first of the month, and uh, with that, we briefly considered three different things that we can all do right now in this gray zone that will impact anyone who shares the space with you, but will also be able to change the way that you view that space that you're in. And then over the next few weeks, we began to dig a little bit deeper into each idea. So last week, we focused on the relational action, saying that we need to love who we can. And we were reminded that the way that we talk, the way that we treat, the way that we respond to, the way that we care for one another in this space is the identifying marker of a genuine follower of Jesus. Before that, we looked at a spiritual action. So we gave you a relational action, and then we, we also had a spiritual action before that where we encouraged each other to pray where we are. And I ask you to begin praying each and every day, God, bless this space. God, I'm asking this place to be blessed, that your presence be here. I know that it is, but let me see that, and let me be able to have it be tangible here in my life. And today we are going to talk about something that is truly tangible. We're going to consider the third action that we can take in our in-between space. It's the tangible action 
to give what we have. Now, now while we're talking about this, I'm just going to go ahead and be very transparent with you this morning, all right? We're going to talk about money today, guys, okay? We are. Just going to let you know, we're going to talk about money. And if you were guests and you're visiting, you're like, you know, every time I go to a church, it seems like they're always talking about money. Just always talking about money. Well, I just want you to know, it could be worse because I could talk about this. All right? So, so, so if you're already feeling like, man, I can't believe we're talking about money, just a show of hands, would anybody like me instead to talk about President Trump, President Biden? Anybody? All right. No, here we go. All right. So let's move on. Get that picture off the screen. There we go. Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to kick things off today. Luke chapter 6. There Jesus describes what lives that are given over completely to the kingdom of God, what those lives should look like. He's describing here is what it looks like to be under God's rule and, and to submit yourself to living in his world. And look, he knows that people are not always going to like what he says. He knows that everyone is not going to like what they hear. And so he says in verse 27 that he's going to talk to those of you who are willing to listen. Or as maybe your Bible says, ye who has ears to hear. And you're like, wait a minute, ye who has ears to hear? What, 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 what is he saying? What, what, what is that? Well, he's like, look, you all got ears? Listen up if you want to use them. You can choose. And spouses, you know how you are able to turn down those ears every once in a while, even though you have them, but you choose not to use them. And Jesus says, look, if you're willing to listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. And he begins to go through this process there in, this, in these few verses. He says, I want you to give out love to your enemies. I want you to give out love to them. He says, I want you to give up prayers for those who hurt you. I want you to give your other cheek to the one that slapped you. And, and hey, why don't you go ahead and give the shirt off your back to the guy that took your coat? Jesus in this text is saying, if you've got it, and you're in the kingdom of God, then you give it. But I know it sounds very counterintuitive because we have grown up in a culture where we take what we want. And then we protect what we have. We don't give. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that was, and it is also the world that is. But here's the difference. Generosity is to be the rule, not the exception in the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is set up to run opposite of this worldly kingdom that we're all a part of, where it's all take, and it's all keep, and it's all hoard, and the kingdom of God says, no, you give. That's the expectation. Now, I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus is telling a group of poor, hungry, and marginalized people that they are to be blessing givers. But when you think about it, how much could they actually really give? Maybe you've wondered the same thing about yourself. How much of a blessing can you really be in this space that you're in right now? In this current economic climate? In fact, I mean, you're probably spending more on gas and groceries now than maybe you have in the past. There's not a whole lot that's left over at the end of the month. How much of a blessing can you actually be? How much of a blessing can you actually be in our divided society? Right? You, you're quickly running out of patience and mercy and forgiveness because of 
things that you see taking place and because of the way that you see others acting and, and responding. I mean, how much can you really give? Or a better, maybe a better question is, how much does God expect? I mean, how generous does God really expect us to be in every aspect of our life? Now, that is a great question. And for that, I want us to leave the Gospel of Luke. We'll refer back to it here in a minute. But I want us to go into, further into your New Testament. I want you to find a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. It was his second letter to a group of people known as the Corinthians. So it's there about midway through your, your New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. In these chapters, the Christians of Corinth are being reminded by the Apostle Paul of their commitment to send relief to a starving Christian group that's living in Jerusalem. You see, the birthplace of Christianity had been hit by a severe famine, and the people there, they were just struggling to survive. Now, Corinth, a year before, these Christians who were living there, who, by the way, were some 2,000 miles by land away and over 800 miles by sea from Jerusalem, where they had pledged to send financial assistance. And they had been sending some money. In fact, Paul would use their eagerness, and he would go around encouraging others to give by talking about how these great Corinthians, man, they had been giving, and they had been helping these Jerusalem followers of Jesus. But somewhere between the agreement and the money being sent and Paul praising them and talking about them, well, the money had stopped coming. And Paul was intent on encouraging them to bring to completion, he says, what he would call an act of grace. That, that's how he referred to their giving, as an act of grace. And what's interesting about his desire that they finish this ministry of giving is that he does not command them to give. In fact, in verse 8 there in chapter 8, he says this, I am not commanding you to do this. I'm not commanding you. Now, now, guys, this messes with our theology. It messes with our theology. Our church tradition has a history of looking to the New Testament for commands. In fact, our church tradition within the churches of Christ has based much of our theology and practice on finding commands that were given to Christians 2,000 years ago and then replicating their obedience to the said command. And we were taught to read the Bible searching for commands or examples or something called necessary inferences that we could then duplicate. And our church forefathers in the 19th century America believed that identifying and following commanded patterns would then unify what was a divided Christian landscape. And while this was a well-intended thing, I mean, unity among Christians, I mean, that sounds like something that we could, we could all get behind, right? Not only then, but especially now. It was well-intended, the idea of looking for that pattern, but it was short-sighted, and it was superficial. For one reason, the New Testament is a narrative, not a rule book. And not every command, example, and inference in its pages was meant to be wrestled into our context. Now, we understand this at one level because I didn't get a holy kiss from none of you when I came in. All right? I didn't. And I'm a little disappointed. I just got to be honest, all right? A little, little, little disappointed. 
But we understand that. We read different things within the narrative. And we understand, oh, okay, this was a command that was given to these people, and it applies to them at their time and in their culture. And then there are some things, though, we look at and say, well, maybe we could also use this in our culture. And, and there is this interpreting that has to go on, right? But patternism is in our church DNA. But then we come to a narrative like this, and we wonder, well, what do we do? There is no pattern. Paul provides no rule. He doesn't say, I want you guys there in Corinth to give 10% of what you have to the people that are in Jerusalem. In fact, you might be surprised to learn that in the story of the early church recorded in the letters of Acts all the way to the Revelation at the end, there are zero commands to give. And some of you are looking and going, I told you. Told you that. Now there are examples of generosity just like the one that's here. And a casual reader of the New Testament can infer that those followers of Jesus, well, they took care of one another. You can find that throughout the different scriptures, but nowhere is it mandated for them here as we're reading for them to give a certain percentage or to give in a certain way. So a merely command example and inference surface reading of scripture, if that's all that I'm looking for, then it actually allows me to treat giving on my own terms. Do you understand what I'm saying? That our traditional approach to reading the Bible, specifically the New Testament, an approach that was handed down to us by our Church of Christ ancestors, it allows for us to view giving as a very nice suggestion. Because there's no command. So it is something that I can do when I can. It's something that is good to do. But it's not something that is mandatory. That's how we've approached it. That, that, that's in the DNA of, of our church history. And as a result, I believe it's one of the reasons, and again, I said I was going to be very transparent with you today. I believe it's one of the reasons we are currently $100,000 behind in our budget giving year to date. When it comes to supporting the ministries and the daily administration of this church body. You see, not everyone who enjoys the services of this church family gives financially to ensure the continuation of those services. Can I let that hang there for just a minute? Now guys, we have some extremely generous individuals who are part of our EB family who weekly sacrifice so as to support the main needs of this church. But we have others who are enjoying the product but not contributing to the production. And there are many reasons, I'm sure of this, but one of them is the way that some of us were just taught to read the Bible that allows me to give at my convenience. I can give if I can, when I can, if I have a little extra, if I agree with how the money is being used, if there's a special need. Well, then, then I'll give. And maybe you're sitting there saying, Chris, um, look, I do. I, I give if and when I want to because, well, I mean, Paul didn't even command the, the, the Christians there in Corinth. He, he, just, he just said it'd be a good thing for them to, to finish, good thing for them to do. There's no rule. There is no pattern. If there was just a pattern, if there was just an amount that, hey, this is the amount that every Christian should give every single week, and this is how you should give it, that's what I want. I'm a pattern person. But there's no pattern. So I give if and when I want to. And you're right. 
You're right. As, as pattern people, man, it would be a lot easier. It would be so much easier if, if I could just point to you to a specific place there where those early Christians were told, hey, uh, hey, this is, exactly what you, this is exactly what you need to do. And we want this to be done everywhere for all time. That would be great if we could see that, right? But Paul doesn't give those Christians that kind of instruction. Instead, what Paul did do, he gave them a story. Or more perhaps, he, when encouraging the Christians to be great givers, he reminded them of the great story. Look at what he told them in verse 9. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, God revealed through Jesus Christ, poured out his grace upon you. He goes, this is the story. And the expectation was that their giving was to be a reflexive response to the grace of God in their lives. There was no command. There was only the reminder of the story of grace with the expectation that their response to an outpouring of grace would be an outpouring of generosity. Here's the story, Paul says. Now act like you believe the story to be true. Friends, generosity is our response to grace. It doesn't come from a command or out of our altruism or philanthropy. It comes out of the transforming work of Christ in us. His grace is the action, and our giving is the reaction. We give because he first gave to us. We give because we believe that the story of Jesus and that grace is true. And giving what we have is just one way that we live out the story of the gospel. You see, Paul is just reframing here in 2 Corinthians what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6. Remember, we looked. He said, give to anyone who asks. Give mercy. Give forgiveness. Give the benefit of the doubt. Paul says, give money. You do all of this without expecting anything in return from the other individual. Now, that's why you do it, he says. If you've got it, then you give it. Generosity is to be the rule, not the exception in the kingdom of God. And each day we need to live as if we believe that the story of God's grace is true. And the way that we show that we believe that's the case is in our generosity. We live out that story individually with personal givings and, and, and personal generosity, things that we do that, that nobody else knows about, things that we do just because we see that need, and it's like, that is a need, and I'm going to meet it because I can do it. But we also live out that story collectively with communal giving. You see, each week for convenience, like those early believers, we collect money. We do, do it via, and you've seen this slide before as it scrolls before services and even after. We do it via our online giving at eastbrainerchurch.org. Our giving boxes that are out there in the doorways as you're heading out into the lobby. And also a giving kiosk that we also have there in the lobby. 
We, we don't, as a rule anymore, since the pandemic, pass those, those baskets, right? And maybe for some of you thought, I'm glad we got rid of that. You know, I, I heard a preacher said, you know what? He goes, I just got to be honest with everybody. He said, our church, man, said, we have a progressive church. Uh, and it was asked of him, well, what do you mean you have a progressive church? He goes, man, said, we do the wave at our church. He's like, every time the collection baskets go by, it's like, woo! You know, y'all can think about that on your way home, right? You'll get it. Starts over here, moves all the way over to that side. We do it via online giving. Our giving boxes and our kiosk. And, and, and that money isn't sent to Jerusalem like the money that was collected there in Corinth. We, we use that money to offer care and compassion both here at home but also abroad. But that care and compassion is seen here in our community and also with our church family. With our Father's Table ministry that distributes food. Uh, in fact, we just had the giveaway this past Wednesday. And the, the number of people that ended up coming was actually so great that we went through all the food that we had. And then I witnessed then different members here of our church family who were apologizing to people who had come through who were in the line and were giving them money of their own and saying, here, I want you to go and get groceries with this. Now, now we didn't run out of food because we did not have money. We ran out of food because of the need was so great, okay, and we try to, to, to budget well, and we try to make sure we have the, the, you know, enough food each time. And this time, we just have more people than, than what was expected. So we'll, we'll, we'll ask in order for more food next time. But we have that. We have our, our snack packs, right? The, the food distribution that we have for our food-insecure children who are here in Hamilton County Schools. And when we begin the second Wednesday in August, we're, we're going to be packing over 10,000 bags, Right? And, and, and that ministry, while, while funded to an extent here through, through your giving, they also are dependent upon the generosity of so many others to be able to continue that and to be able to grow that. Right in our back property, we have our New Beginnings House, which is a space for, for ladies who have been recently released from an incarceration that they can come and, and begin to pick things back up in their life and get back on their feet. We, we have our Transformation Project, which, which helps those who have been uh, not only incarcerated, but also in addictive situations. We have counseling opportunities that we support financially. We have gift cards that we have here in the office that we give out to individuals that come that, that need food during different times of the day. All of these things are, are funded by that communal giving. And then we promote the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ in Central America and in the Caribbean. And I'm excited to announce that we're looking to have uh, the, um, the minister from, uh, from, from, from Jamaica, Michael, is going to be here with us here in, in a couple of months, it looks like. Also his wife, Maxine, the Gordon family. So you're going to be able to hear from them about things that are taking place there on the island and in Lucy. And also we engage in ministries that move children and teens and young adults and, and singles and families and senior adults closer to a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. And because that we do not feel that it's good stewardship just to leave our facility sitting empty during the week, we share our facility with our Chattanooga friends and neighbors. We have schools and, and service clubs that, that, that come and, and use our facility at different times during the week. Camp Big Fish has been here in our FLC and on our campus the entire summer. We have anniversaries that are celebrated here, birthday parties that this facility hosts. 
And yes, we use the money that's given communally to pay our ministry staff who give their time and talent fully to the kingdom work, believing that those who plant spiritual seed are entitled to a physical harvest. Now, to fully engage in these actions, and, and, and not just those, but, but in other things that, that also are going on in, in, in your name, in the name of those who say, EB is my home, and this is where I'm getting spiritual growth, and this is where I am serving and in the name of the Lord, we need to collect each week donations totaling at least $25,500. And as I mentioned earlier, we are $100,000 behind our budgeted need. So that means we're about one month's giving, one full month of giving short. That's kind of where things stand. Now, our EB leadership wants you to know that we are financially stable. We have zero debt on this facility here. And we have monies in reserve to be used if needed. But I need you to think about this. If by year end, if nothing changes, if by year end we have a deficit of $200,000, then our inreach and our outreach will feel the impact going into 2024. I mean, how, how can it not be impacted, right? I mean, that's $200,000 perhaps that we were expecting and, and anticipating and, and wanting to use in ministry that's just not there. So to those of you who continue to financially support our efforts, guys, look, I cannot thank you enough for your kindness, for your generosity, and for your intentionality. And maybe you've already set things up online so that it's just something that happens without you thinking about it. Um, I hope that you're still in prayer over that. Or maybe, it's, maybe you come each week and you put something in our, in our boxes or, or you mail something to the office or, or you use our giving kiosk. We, we appreciate it. And the things that are done here cannot be done on the scale that we currently do them or even higher if it was not for your generosity and giving to this community and this lesson is in no way an attempt to guilt you into giving more please hear this now if as we go through this if you're like well i really was thinking about giving a special donation to the preacher you go right ahead you just let you let the spirit lead you wherever you know wherever it is now this is not to attempt to guilt you into giving more and to those of you who are visiting this morning, please don't take my words to be an attempt to pressure you into giving to our work here. That's not the point of it. But to those of our church family who rarely, if ever, give financially to support what we are attempting to do in the name of Christ, then let me remind you of the story. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Will you join me in prayer just for a moment? Father, I just want to say thank you for your generosity. Can we just do that this morning for a moment? that you might be able to hear from all of those who are present this morning, just an individual thank you, Lord. Thank you for pouring out upon us your grace through Jesus Christ. 
the fact that he would leave heaven to come here in order that we might go there. Father, we don't know what to do with a love and a generosity like that. May you soften our hearts. May you grant us a greater understanding through your spirit so that your generosity would influence ours and so that your grace would have a lasting impact in our life that we would live as if we believed the story to be true and others would be blessed because of it. In the name of Jesus, we ask this, amen. Let me address as we wrap up what could be a couple of things that are just on your mind this morning. Perhaps you're listening this morning and you want to respond by saying, well, look, Chris, I give in other ways. I've heard that before. And thank you for doing that, by the way. I give in other ways. And that is wonderful. But understand that giving of your time and service does not relieve you of the responsibility to bring to completion this act of grace, as Paul talked about. You see, see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, Paul praised the Corinthians. He praised them in verse 7 for excelling in their faith, in their speech, their knowledge, and their love. Their belief in their conversations, their learning, their love. And they were knocking it out of the park. And, and, and Paul, knowing, knowing how we are and knowing the way that we can respond, says, I hear what you're going to say. And you're going to say, but Paul, look at our love and look at what we're doing and look at the conversations we're having and look at how much knowledge we're giving. But Paul told them not to swing and miss when it came to their giving. You're excelling in so many things, he told them. I also want you to excel in this gracious act. Why? Because the story requires it. And maybe there are some who are listening this morning thinking, you know what, I would like to help support the work of God and the mission of God. And I would like to be a better giver to my church. I just wish I had more in terms of usefulness, more in terms of talent, more in terms of money. But I just don't have much. Look, I get that. And maybe you're young and you're just getting started with your career or, or with your family. Maybe you just have a summer job for the first time. Or maybe you're older and on hard times and living on a retirement budget. Will you listen again to what Paul told the Corinthians? This is verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Did you hear that? Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Later on he will say, God loves a cheerful giver. This, this, this giver that, that just is just one of these that's just so excited to be able to participate. And then he says, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Read your Bible, folks. The best givers in the Bible didn't have much, but not being able to do much is no excuse for doing nothing. Maybe you heard about the two guys who were camping in the forest, and one guy was huge and covered with muscles, the other guy was a, a scrawny little thing. And the little guy looked up at the big guy and he said, you know what, if I were as big as you, I would go out there in those woods and I would find me the biggest bear and I would just tear him apart limb from limb. 
And the big guy looks down at the little guy and says to him, yeah, well, there's a lot of little bears in the forest too. I cannot repeat this enough. God is not interested in how you would give what you do not have. But he cares a great deal about how you use and share what by his grace you do have. And hard times and low resources are no excuse for having an ungenerous spirit. We didn't begin at the, at the start of 2 Corinthians 8, but you can go back and look at that and see how he talks about another group of Christians who, who, who gave truly out of their poverty. They did not have a lot, but they were so eager to give, he says, and maybe you could be blessed by going back and reading at the beginning of the chapter. When reading these narratives or, or like them, it's, it is best to look for principles as opposed to patterns, okay? And the principle that we find consistently in the stories of the New Testament is that we have been blessed to be a blessing. And actually, it's a principle that flows throughout the entirety of Scripture. Generosity has always been the expectation of God's children. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God asked Abram to step out of his cycle of birth and work and family and work and death, that, that's the way that everybody lived. He asked him to step out of that, leaving all that he knew and to trust him and go to a place that he would later, we are told, receive as his inheritance. And here's what God told him. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God chose Abram not just to save him, but rather that by being blessed, Abram will become an agent, a catalyst for blessing to others. You see, centuries before Jesus, Abram was introduced to the story of God's grace. It was preached to Abram. This idea that God's grace poured out is a beautiful thing. And his descendants, both physical and spiritual, were not, were not only to share in the blessing of Abraham, but they were expected to be the blessing of Abraham. The principles, they're just inescapable. Those who are blessed are called to be a blessing beyond themselves. But here's the deal. And we have said this during every message in this series. Guys, we cannot change our space until we allow God to change us. We've got to change the way that we, that we look at life and that we look at life specifically in the kingdom if we really want for our space to be able to change, whether it's relationally, whether it's spiritually, or whether it's with something like this, tangible. Perhaps you need God to soften your heart in order that your capacity to give can increase. Or maybe, especially in hard times, Maybe you have made sure every other aspect of your life was taken care of, and then if there was anything left over, anything left over after the tuition was paid and after the car payments and after the house and after the groceries and, and, and after we paid on the student loans and, and after... Guys, we are so overextended. But maybe after, if there was anything else left over, well, then there... There would be time for worship or time for offering or energy for serving. After, then I will give to God. 
Instead of allowing God's kingdom rule to lay claim to your life for the purpose of leveraging the whole of your life as a blessing for others. Instead of having that be your paradigm, instead of that being the way that you look at life, you've chosen to treat God's kingdom as an add-on that, that gives to you, but asks nothing in return. Maybe you've always thought that giving was just, just based on your financial position. And as long as you didn't have a certain amount, you didn't have to give. Or, or, you know, since there's no command, maybe giving is just optional. And it's something that I can do on my own time and on my own schedule. But friends, generosity is the expectation of a follower of Jesus. And that generosity should be displayed both inside and outside the church house walls. And during a time and space when change and anxiety are causing more and more people to become hoarders, and just say, I've got to protect my own, and I've got to keep what I've got and, and hold on to what I have. I just got to ask you, what have you been doing? What have you been doing that shows that you believe the story to be true? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your house? What are you doing with your car? Or how about your garden or, or your groceries? What about the clothes that are in your, your closet? What are you doing with your giftedness? Now, I know that I focused specifically this morning on talking about just giving financially. And I, and I focused in on some very specific things just because we need to have conversations like this occasionally just as a church family. Just like in your own family when you have difficult conversations there around the, around the dinner table. This is our dinner table right now. And we've been having one of those types of conversations. But understand that when Jesus says to give, it, it, it isn't just money. But it is money as well. Find ways in your day to live as if you believe the story to be true. And if you do that, if I do that, then God will change our space. And we will be God's instrument of change. Because we have said, we will not hoard. We will give what we have. Can we stand right now and give thanks and praise to a generous, generous God?